I think we can all fall into the trap of thinking that church should revolve around us. We can be fooled into thinking that the purpose of church is to make us happier or more fulfilled or more comfortable. That what our church does should bless us and make our lives easier. But Peter doesn't agree. He believed that our, the primary goal for us as a community of God's people is not to make us happier or to more, more fulfilled or comfortable. He believed that we have a higher and a better calling in our lives. Peter believed that who, who we are or what we do should flow out of who we are. That as Christians we are called to live out who God made us to be. So in our next section of First Peter, we're going to look at this, this passage and we're going to see that how he reminds us again that our identity, what is our, our identity in Christ, and that will help us to understand what our purpose in life is. So we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to read from verse 9 down to verse 12. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 verse 12 but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light once you were not a people but now you are the people of God Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that although they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Last week we were thinking about the, the quite dreadful destiny of those who have rejected Jesus, who disobey his message. But Peter, in this letter, he was writing primarily to those who had trusted in Jesus, who had believed in the good news. And as a result of this, their identity and their destiny had been transformed. But this wasn't something that they could take credit for. They couldn't boast about this. Yes, they'd chosen to believe and accept Jesus, but before this choice and underlying this choice was God's choice of them. He says, verse 9, you are a chosen people. As I've said before when we've been looking at this letter, as a passionate Jew, Peter would have initially thought of as the physical descendants of Abraham as God's chosen people. If you'd asked him before he met Jesus, who are the chosen people? He'd have said, us, meaning the Jews. For example, Deuteronomy chapter 7 says this, the Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Jews are God's chosen people. 
And so Peter had initially believed that the Jewish nation alone were God's chosen people and anyone who was not a Jew would be unclean and unacceptable in God's sight. But now, Peter was writing, as he said at the very start of this letter, to God's elect. He now realised that God had chosen both Jew and Gentile, non-Jew, to be part of his kingdom. So he wrote in verse 10 of our chapter, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. There's been a transformation that has happened here. And that's amazing truth for all of us who have put our faith in Jesus. I don't know if you remember the the end of last year or the beginning of this year, I can't remember which, uh, we were looking at Ephesians chapter 1. That great passage. And it says this in verse 4, He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Now we might struggle to get our heads around this fact. I certainly do. We might struggle to accept some of the implications of this truth. But this is God's pleasure. This is God's will that before the world began God chose you and he chose me to be his children. What an amazing truth that is. Not that it should lead us to arrogance or pride. shouldn't walk around saying, oh, look, at me, look at me, I'm chosen. Nobody can boast about being chosen. Because God's choice is not based on who we are. Or anything that we did or would do. That was true about the people of Israel. They sometimes were boastful about the the, the sense that they had been chosen by God. But Moses said to them in Deuteronomy chapter 7 again, The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you. And kept the oath that he swore to your forefathers. God didn't choose them because of their strength. Or because of their size. Or their goodness. Or their morality. Or anything about who they were. Rather simply God chose them because he loved them. And he promised to bless them. And in a similar way God didn't choose us. Who have trusted in Jesus because of anything in us. Instead, he chose us because of his amazing grace. He loved us because he loved us because he loved us. So Peter wrote here in verse 10, Once you had not received mercy, but now, now you have received mercy. We we deserved nothing but separation from God forever. That's what you and I earned. That's what we deserved. That's what should have been given us in terms of our um, justice. Yet we've been given nothing less than an eternity of intimacy with God 
forever in heaven. And even the taste of that right now on earth. This is God's amazing grace. It is by grace you have been saved. And this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works. So that no one can boast. It is by grace alone. Through faith alone. And in Christ alone. That we've been saved. And because of God's choice. We have been appointed as priests. In God's kingdom. You are a royal priesthood. Again, Peter was taking an Old Testament idea that initially applied to the nation of Israel and he was applying it in a greater and fuller sense to God's new covenant people, to us. Because the Lord had said to Israel in Exodus chapter 19, if you obey me fully, and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. As God's people, Israel had the immense privilege of access to God. They were able to worship Him and to petition Him for forgiveness, for help and for direction. It's a wonderful privilege. But this access wasn't kind of direct and unlimited. The, the tabernacle and lately and later after, after that the temple, it was a place of limited access to God. The people, the, the, the everyday people, they could come so far into God's presence, but they couldn't come right into the very core of the tabernacle or the temple. The anointed priests, the descendants of Aaron, they were able to come closer, right into the, the holy place. But the, the, only the high priest, the one who was appointed the high priest, only he could come into the most holy place, the inner sanctuary of that temple. And he could only come into that temple once a year on the Day of Atonement. And only if he brought, brought a blood sacrifice to pay for his own sins and for the sins of his people. So the book of Hebrews chapter 9 says this, The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still standing. It was an, an amazing privilege a wonderful gift that God had given the people of Israel. They could come close to God, but they couldn't come with direct access, unlimited access to God's presence. But as the new priesthood, we have a great high priest who gave himself once and for all, for all of our sins. Hebrews chapter 10, by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. On the cross, Jesus paid the ultimate price for our sins. A sacrifice that never needs to be repeated or added to or continued. It's finished. It's once and for all. It's done. 
So if we put our faith in Jesus, that we have full and direct access to God. So Hebrews 10 says this, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. It's not talking about an earthly tabernacle or temple. It's talking about God's throne. By faith we can come right into the very presence of the most holy God. So we are a kingdom of priests. We don't have one priest in this church. Or two or three. Every single one of us who have trusted in Jesus, we are a priest in God's sight. Male and female, young and old, whatever our background level of understanding, we, each of us who have trusted in Jesus, have this right and this privilege of direct access into God's presence to present a sacrifice of praise to God. That's our identity. We are a kingdom of priests. Israel was also seen as a holy nation. They were seen as a nation that had been set apart from the rest of the world because they were set apart to God. But Peter said that as believers, you are a holy nation. We are a community that have been made holy. We've been set apart through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. So that means that our first identity and allegiance is not to the country of our birth or where we live now. So we, are, we don't ultimately define ourselves as Irish or English or Croatian or Polish or Latvian or Nigerian or Scottish or Brazilian or Spanish or any other nationality that I've forgotten about in the, in the church today. Instead, our identity, our ultimate identity, our ultimate nationality, our ultimate allegiance is to this new sanctified community of God's people. Who are we at our very core? Well, our citizenship is in heaven. That's who we are. That is who God's called us to be. What this also means is community life is not an optional extra for a Christian. We can't choose to follow Jesus as an isolated believer and say, I'm just going to worship God on my own. You ever heard people say that? Well, I can worship God in my living room just as much as I can in church. Not according to this. Because God has called us to be a community of his people. A holy nation. That's what he's building. This is God's purpose for us. So through our faith in Jesus, we are part of this sanctified community. Whether we're living it out or not, we are part of it. This is who we are. This is where we belong. And this is who we belong to. Verse 9 again, you are a people belonging to God. We are people belonging to God. Why is that? Well, it's because God bought us for himself. We used to belong to the kingdom of darkness. 
We were held in slavery to sin and to death. But God, God called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. In love, God rescued us from the prince of darkness. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of His Son. This is God's rescue plan. This is our new identity. We belong to God. And we've just been remembering that this rescue plan came at a great price. Remember when we read this verse in, in chapter 1 of 1 Peter? That you were redeemed. You were bought. You were bought out of slavery and into this new relationship with God. With the precious blood of Christ. And that is why, if we have trusted in Jesus, we belong to God. We don't belong to ourselves. We don't belong to somebody else. We belong to God. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, You are not your own. You are bought at a price. You are not your own. You are bought at a price. We are God's blood-bought people. So this is who we are. We are an elect people. A kingdom of priests. A sanctified community bought with the precious blood of Jesus. But Peter doesn't stop there. He wants us to know this is our identity so that we will understand what our purpose is. He wants us to know who we are so we'll know what we should do. What we should do with our lives. So Peter wrote that we were chosen that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Through Jesus, we've been chosen as a kingdom of priests. We've been given direct access into God's presence. But this gift is not first and foremost, given to us for our benefit. This is not just so we can go and enjoy this privilege. So we can go and hang out with God and feel good about ourselves. That is not the ultimate goal. We have a much higher and greater calling than that. We've been called as priests in God's kingdom so that we can proclaim the praises of God. This is who we are, so this is what we should do. What does it mean to declare the praises of God? Well, that talks about the outstanding qualities, the excellencies of God. It refers both to his attributes and his actions, who he is and what he has done. Our callings to proclaim the awesomeness of God, how amazing God is. But also declare the wonder of what God has done. In this world, but also especially in our lives. So this is the sacrifices that we are called to present as priests in God's kingdom. It's not a ceremonial sacrifice as in the Old Testament. Because all of those ceremonies were called to point to Jesus. 
So if we have Jesus, we don't need those shadows. Neither is that a sacrifice to pay for our sins. Because Jesus' death on the cross paid for our sins once and for all. Rather, it's a sacrifice of praise to God. Of celebration of what Jesus has done in our lives. And we can do this through what we say. Hebrews chapter 13 says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess His name. So we declare the praises of God through our songs, through our prayers, when we talk to God, when we talk about God. We are called to declare God's excellencies. But we can also do this through how we live. So Paul says in Romans chapter 12, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Our whole lives can be a sacrifice of praise as we seek to honour God and reflect His character in everything that we do. So if we believe that God is excellent and how He chose us by His grace and how He purified us by His sacrifice, how He sanctified us by His Spirit, how He bought us with his, the blood of His Son, then we should respond by doing everything we can to proclaim the splendor of our God, to declare His majesty, His brilliance, His glory. That is why we're priests. God made us who we are so we can proclaim who He is. We are a kingdom of priests to proclaim God's glory. But if we're going to do this effectively, if we're going to do this in a way that's going to honour God, then we also need to war against sin. Verse 11. I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires. Since we're God's chosen people, then this means we're aliens and strangers in this world. We've seen this before in, in First Peter, haven't we? We live in a place that's not our home. We're a holy nation that's been called to be set apart from those who are around us. As God's people, we belong to God, not to this world. And so we need to live this out in our everyday lives. We need to live as citizens of heaven, not as somebody who belongs to the earth. Our problem is, of course, that although we've been born again with a new nature, we still have that old nature within us, don't we? Anybody know that they've still got that old nature? Yeah? Still present? You still see it? And those sinful desires that are part of that, they war against our soul. They pull us away from our spiritual lives. They battle our desire to live for God and to live with God. And so if we want to live out the reality of who God has called us to be, if we want to enter into all of what God has planned for us in our lives, if we want to enjoy everything that Jesus died to give us, then we need to abstain from those sinful desires. 
We need to say no to them. We need to hold ourselves back from them. We need to resist the sinward pull of them. We need to go to war on them. Put them to death. This is the call of Jesus. Listen to what he says in Luke chapter 9. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. As Christians, we're not to demand what we want. We're not to go after what we feel like. We're not just to choose what we prefer. That kind of thinking leads us back into the slavery to sin. Instead, as God's holy people, in humility, in gratitude, in joy, in love, we are called to say no to what we want. To reckon ourselves as dead to sin and instead live out each day our commitment to Jesus. To live for Him with everything that we are and everything we have. And as we do that, we realize that this is the life of freedom and joy and fulfillment that we're always longing for. We think that by saying yes to what we like and what we desire, that's where we'll find fulfillment. No, it's by denying ourselves daily, taking up our cross and following Jesus. It's also how we find it will impact this world for Christ. Our last point, verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. I just love the honesty of the Bible. Don't you? I was not trying to present a a perfect picture and and fool us into thinking it's going to be really easy. God makes it clear here that even if we live in a way that honours him, we're going to face tough times, folks. Even if we do right, some people are going to accuse us of doing wrong. But Peter holds out the hope that one day when God visits us, those people who have seen our good deeds will respond to them in glorifying God. Our lives will result in God's glory. There's some debate about what that actually means. Some people think that he's looking forward to when Jesus returns. And in judgment, he will right all wrongs. And he will bring glory to his Father by rewarding those who have lived for him. Or maybe he's looking forward to a day when God will visit the people around us in mercy and grace. And they will repent. And they will put their faith in Jesus. And they will come to salvation. And be able to say that that person, you or you or me, that I was a part of that. That my witness or your witness was part of the stepping stones for them to come to Christ. Whatever Paul meant by that, it's clear that Paul Peter, sorry, whatever Peter meant by that, it's clear that he wasn't just making this up himself. He was reflecting the words of Jesus in saying this. Sure, remember Matthew chapter 5. 
in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. We've been called out of darkness into God's wonderful light. So we are called to live in that light. To bear witness to the light of God's love and holiness in our everyday lives. That's an essential part of our witness in this world. But it's also an essential part of our worship for God. As our good lives will ultimately bring glory. Not to us, by the way. Not to our church. But of course the glory goes to God. And to God alone. So this is who we are. And this is what we're called to do. We're not a group of people who are here to seek our own glory or our own comfort. Instead, we're God's chosen people. We are a kingdom of priests, a sanctified community, a people who have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus, so we belong to God. And so we're called to live, to worship God, to war against our sinful desires. And to witness to what God has done in our lives. So that we will glorify the one who loved us and gave himself.